Well, I, I looked through all my messages today, and this is the longest one I got. <laughs> I looked at the shortest one, but that was last night, so I didn't want to do it two nights in a row. But I appreciate being here, and thank God for the testimonies. Thank God for the faithfulness of you folk being here night after night. I appreciate a good friend of mine, Brother Rudy Stembridge, is here tonight. Amen. I've known him, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He probably was a baby when I met him. It's been a long, long time, probably 30 years anyway. We've been friends and associates in the work of God, and I appreciated his father-in-law also. So it's good to be here tonight, and I want you to look in your book, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I just want to, I want to just talk to you about uh, what I feel like the Lord had had me talk to you about. You know, it's been interesting. Uh, probably like most everybody nowadays, we don't get our news from the radio or the newspaper. People don't even know what a newspaper is anymore. Uh, but we, I get mine on my phone, and I saw what Israel did last night, and, uh, fighting with Iran, which is Persia, uh, in the Bible. And I tell you, we could be very, very close to getting on out of here. Uh, this weekend will be the 70th anniversary of Israel being a state. A lot of people believe that 70 years is a generation. And uh, we may be right at the cusp of getting out of this old world. And I want to be as right with God. I tell you, uh, I want to be in the house of God. If, that, if the house of God's doors are open, I want to be in the church house. I want to be doing what. You wouldn't be a dumb thing to be doing something you know you ought not to do the moment of the rapture. That would be almost embarrassing. And then when you get up to heaven, you know, and I don't know if they're going to do it this way or not, but we're going to have billions of years to be up there. And someone will say, hey, how about everybody comes forward and tells what they were doing the minute the rapture took place? <laughs> I mean, I, you'd get in the back of the line now. <laughs> Stay way back there. But I don't think it'll work that way. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts... Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening. We thank you for the fellowship that we've enjoyed in the gospel already, the good songs, the testimonies that brought honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I pray you'd help me in these few minutes tonight. I know if I say everything on these pages, the message will be a little bit longer than any that I've preached this whole time I've been here. And I, I don't intend to be a boring, Lord. I, I don't want to be uh, people just to endure. I want us to enjoy being in the house of God. I want us to be encouraged. I want us to get some things that will help us down the road of life 
And we can look back and say, I remember when this was said. I remember when that was said. And this is why it was said for me today. And it could be six months from now. And I pray, dear Holy Ghost of God, that you'd help our listeners. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young man, and some of you may remember the fella, there was a tremendous, tremendous soloist, gospel singer, by the name of Jack Holcomb. Jack Holcomb was also a preacher, but his singing, I never heard a sermon by him, but I, I'm even blessed by his singing now. Uh, you can get on your phone and just say Jack Holcomb and hear some of the greatest singing you've ever heard in your life. It's just wonderful. He died probably a little over half a century ago. Preceding him in death was his first wife, uh, after she died some years, he married another lady, and they were blessed uh, with a little girl, a little daughter. When that little girl was 18 months old, she was sitting in her high chair having breakfast one morning. How it happened, nobody really knows. But she fell out of that high chair and hit her head, and she died. The little body of that child was over at the funeral home in Waco, Texas, where they lived. And a tornado came through town. It was a, it was a huge tornado I, back in the 50s, early 60s, whenever it happened. It was uh, one of the great storms of America. And it hit the funeral home where her body was. And uh, the Holcombs got the news, we don't know where your baby is. The storm had picked that child up and took her along with other bodies that were there at the funeral home that day. They looked for several days, and finally, someone found that little baby's body out in a cemetery after a long, long search. After that tragedy took place in his life, he sang this song. I doubt if it ever became a hit. I've only heard it one time in my life. But the title of the song was Don't Spare Me Anything. And the lyrics go like this. Don't spare me trouble if it will bring me close to thee. Don't spare me heartache, for you bore a broken heart for me. Don't spare me loneliness, for I recall Gethsemane. Don't spare me anything that you endured for me. And the chorus goes like this. Forgive me, Lord, for I prayed in vain. You'd spare me grief and pain. My blinded eyes now see these things were best for me. The second stanza goes, don't spare me failure if this is best for me. Don't spare me sickness if this will make me call on thee. Don't spare me suffering for I recall your agony. Don't spare me anything that you've endured for me. I want to say to you tonight that God's gifts are not always wrapped in pretty paper and brilliant bows. However, God's gifts are always to promote and produce usefulness in the body of Christ. Now, not, not all of us have beautiful features. Uh, sometimes we have problems and difficulties in health situations. The Bible talks that we have hidden parts, comely parts, and uncomely parts that make up the pieces of the puzzle of our lives. 
You know, sometimes preachers, they think that their unique presentation is what uh, attracts people. And it may attract people, but it doesn't attract people to God. If you have a ministry that attracts people to you and your personal impressiveness, they'll get no farther than you are. They won't get past you. You know the great thing about John the Baptist's ministry? That all of his disciples followed Jesus. His ministry was one of, I must decrease and he must increase. Verse 18 uh, in this chapter said, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. You are what you are tonight. You have experienced what you have experienced in your life because it pleased him. Your uniqueness, your uniqueness is by God's design. Verse 27 has an interesting little phrase. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We have specific jobs. We all can't be the same thing. We have varied assignments from God Almighty. We have assorted allotments and job description and abilities and character traits and backgrounds and family and they're all different that we might be something that God would be pleased with from our lives. Now your uniqueness is to be displayed. I don't know how you're exhibiting it. Some people do it in a positive manner, others in a negative manner. How are you exercising your gift? You say, well, preacher, I have the gift of disrespect for authority. I have the gift of gossip. I don't think that's a good gift to have. I have the gift of criticism. I have the gift of tearing down when somebody, you know, and somebody comes to the uh, church social and they bring uh, two dozen donuts. All I see is there's holes in those donuts. A lot of people like that in life. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be, the power may be of God and not of us. Now, I've rubbed shoulders with some great men since I've been a young man growing up in a preacher's home. I met great preachers in my lifetime. My father had Dr. Bob Jones Sr. preach at our church. I've seen lesser lights or greater lights. I've been blessed along those lines. But I want to say tonight, you cannot have complete confidence in any man. Every one of us are earthen vessels. We are all flawed. We, are, we all have some chinks in our armor. I like to say this tonight, that we are all cracked pots. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, how we are cracked pots. The best of men, Oswald Chambers said, the best of men are merely the best of men. We're just men. My father went to Bible college in Fort Worth, Texas, there at the corner of uh, 4th and Throckmorton in downtown Fort Worth. It 
J. Frank Norris's school called Bible Baptist Seminary back in the day. I heard my dad one day talking about it. He said, he said when you would uh, go into the men's room, one of the men's rooms in that, in that great huge building that uh, seated, I think, five to 6,000 people. I've been in the building a couple times when I was a young man. You just about need, if you sat in the back row, you need binoculars to see the front of the building. It was a tremendously huge auditorium, long, long, thin building uh, like they were back in the day. My father said in the men's room, somebody had written on the bathroom wall, Dr. Norris thinks he's a chosen vessel, but he's really a crackpot. Now, that wasn't a very nice thing to do, but they did it. I want to talk to you about crackpots tonight for just a little bit. I want you to consider initially that God uses cracked pots. We're all different. We all have the indelible marks of humanity on us. We have physical deformities. We have faults. We have flaws. Your preacher and I have kind of uh, got a mutual admiration society going for a preacher that he found and he introduced him to me by the name of Borum. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to invite somebody? Would you please come and hear my pastor, Brother Borum? <laughs> Goodness gracious. I don't know when he found it out. He told me this week that Borum, when he was a 14-year-old boy, had his foot cut off, uh, I think in a train accident. And he talked about how he broke his leg, leg several times and other limbs just because of his handicap, all of his, his long life. Some of us have emotional shortcomings. Some of us have weak minds. A lot of us have weak minds. <laughs> we have weak stomachs. Now, I could leave this out and make this sermon a little bit shorter, but I feel like saying it. I was in Fairbanks, Alaska, preaching several years ago, and it was in a conference, and they had some day services, and we all went out to a little restaurant to eat and would sit around a circular table about the size of that grand piano over there. There's eight or ten of us preachers. And there was a preacher friend of mine who had traveled the world uh, more than I've traveled the world, and he'd been a lot of places, and we, we got to talking. I don't know how we got on the subject, but he got to talking about strange food that he had eaten. Now, I've been in China. When you have chicken dinner in China in fancy, nice restaurants, you, they lay it out there. They lay the whole bird out there. And it looked like it's been run through an old ringer wash machine. It's all stretched out about that long. You got the head over here and you got the feet over here. And people eat those feet. Now, I don't know if you like to eat chicken feet, but I, I, I'm not a farmer. I've not been around a lot of chicken coops, but I know what those chicken feet have been in. And I don't think you could sterilize them enough for me to eat them. And the head's on there, the comb, the eyeballs, the brains are in there. And he, told, he got to telling about that, and he got to telling about eating beluga in the Philippines. Beluga, what they do, they take chicken eggs or goose eggs or duck eggs, and they put them, take them down to the beach, and they, they put them in the sand, and they know how many days to gestation, and they wait till just about an hour or two or maybe a half a day before that little chick pops out of there, and they eat that thing like that. I wouldn't care about that at all. 
And he got to telling, this is the best one, because I know the guy that this happened to. He got to telling about being in Africa with his pastor. And I knew his pastor. And we're not buddies. But they were over there in Africa. And they went to a chief's hut to eat. And while they were there, you know, the, the missionary was there and he was interpreting and all this business. And while they were there, the chief, now I don't, barefooted, man probably never wore shoes in his life, the chief of this village. While they were there waiting to eat, the chief was cleaning out between his toes. I don't know what you call the stuff between the chief's toes. But he cleaned out all that stuff between all five of his toes until he got a ball of stuff about that big around. And they were kind of looking at that and watching that and into what was going on. And then the chief handed it to the missionary. And the missionary handed it to my friend's pastor. And my friend's pastor looked at that and said to the missionary, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? He said, you are to eat that. He said, not in a million lifetimes. He said, if you don't eat that, we will, they will kill us right here on the spot. You will have offended the chief. We might be in the pot. They'll be eating us next week. He ate that toe jam, I guess, would be a good term. A ball of toe jam. He was sitting there telling all, we were sitting around the table telling that. And uh, then he ordered for breakfast, now breakfast, mind you, he ordered a bowl of chili and a raw egg. And when he ordered that bowl of chili and a raw egg, he cracked that egg, and when he did, he opened it and put it in that chili. And, of course, that hot chili would cook it. But there was a missionary there uh, to Alaska. He had listened to all that stuff. He had heard all that stuff. Then he watched him do that. And when that guy put one spoonful of that raw egg that had been not really well cooked in that chili, he got as sick as could be. He was under the table. He went under the table and he left a lot of evidence that he had been under that table. Some people have weak stomachs. <laughs> we all struggle. We're all threatened. We all have to cope with people. We all have insecurities. Uh, people don't like you or they don't want you around. You know, every once in a while in a church like this, when somebody gets up and testify, oh, not her again, not him again. We all go through that kind of stuff. We have personality quirks. We have weak points. We have strong areas. We have a background. We have a family. We're not, I'm not saying we're carnal. We're just flawed. We are a bunch of cracked pots. Don't be blind to your benefits and your blessings. You may, you may not be the smartest guy in the world. You may not be brilliant. But if you have Jesus Christ and he's got you and the king of kings can be pleased with the labors that come from your life. You ever think about this, that God chose you in spite 
or maybe because of your faults and your shortcomings. He allows these things in our life, I think, to reveal and emphasize our flaws so that we can help others. Now, my son Jordan's been here, and I believe he spoke, the preacher said, on a Wednesday night or whatever it was, some, maybe last summer when he was home for a couple of months. And uh, he, he, he had a stroke when he was 14 years old. He had a very tragic thing happen in our life and family. And uh, that happened in May of 1987, not that long ago, 30 plus years ago, I guess. But uh, when that happened, I, you know, I, was, I had to go off the road. And I had a man in North Carolina and I had two fellows in Ohio get a hold of me and they were having uh, like jubilees or conferences or camp meetings all the same week. And so one of them said, I'd like you to come. So to make a long story short, I went to all three of those meetings in one week. A couple days there, a couple days there, and a couple days there. The last guy that I was with, they took up an offering for us. They knew I was going to be off the road. It was a rather large offering. I was grateful, grateful for it, very grateful for it. But I was more grateful for the little letter that he put in there. And he put this verse in there, 2 Corinthians 1 and 4, that God comforts us that we may be able to comfort others by the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted of God. Do you know why you have problems? You know why difficulties come into your life? So down the road of life, when you meet somebody with similar problems, you can say like's been said tonight, have faith in God. He'll show up in your house. He'll be there to deliver you in the midst of your problem. I don't think God has favorites. He loves every one of us. And he uses us to comfort others. You know, sometimes I, I feel intimidated sometimes in the situations you get put in. You know, and say, well, if I wasn't me, you know. If my earthen vessel wasn't so earthen. And sometimes at night you shed scalding tears and you hope that your spouse, you don't wake her and she has no, no idea what the problem is and you feel your own unworthiness and you beat yourself up every once in a while. Hey, I want to tell you something tonight. You are under assignment from God Almighty just like you are. He redeemed you. He took you out of the pit. Hey, you can be used of God. I think self-esteem is unhealthy when it's all about me. I think that becomes an inner bent against God Almighty. However, I believe there is a self-worth that comes from knowing Him. You know what you were worth? You were worth His Son's blood shed on Calvary. He paid the same price for all of us. Find something positive about your dumbness. Find something positive about the crackpot of your life. Find something great about your flaws and your faults and your failures and your misgiving. God chose you to do something with your life. Then I think God expects the best from crack. 
And he said, I want to quit. You can't. You haven't done anything yet. You know, what I, you know what bothers me? People that are retired that go on vacation. Why? <laughs> or, or a guy on welfare goes on vacation. He hadn't worked a day in his life. Worse than that would be a guy who's been on welfare for 40 years and he decides to retire. From what? Goodness gracious. There ought to be a passion to improve that would, de that would defeat the cheapness and the negatives of our life. And everybody in this room, we might be nothing but a bunch of Dixie cups. We're not crystal goblets. But who cares? Listen, if someone's out there, could you imagine somebody out in the middle of the Saharan Desert or out in Death Valley in California and they haven't had a drink of water in four or five days and you come up with a Dixie cup of water and they say, well, I don't want a Dixie cup. Man, I don't care what it be, an old shoe, I'd take a drink out of it. Some of us are, that's a bunch of old shoes. I'm not talking about doing things shady. I'm not talking about uh, doing things cheaply. The Bible talks over there, Paul talked to Timothy about vessels of honor. You may not have be the best of this or the best of that, but we can do the best we can with what we have. I was in a church Sunday before the Sunday I was just here. And Brother Stembridge knows the church that I was in, in Loveland, Ohio. They don't have a pianist. They, got about, they only got about 40 or 50 people. They don't have a pianist at all. And uh, the pastor was gone. I just was filling the pulpit for him. He'd scheduled a long time ago. He was somewhere else. And uh, the guy leading the songs, I mean, every once in a while, he got on the right tune. Every once in a while. I mean, we sang songs that I've known all my life to completely different tunes. And a lot of different keys, too, by the way. The week before, I was in a church in Iowa, way out in the middle of nowhere. They, uh, they had, uh, I think there was 26 people there Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday through Wednesday meeting, we had nights when they were in the teens. And thank God for the visitors that came, or we wouldn't have made it to the teens. That little church had four pianists, excuse me, three pianists and an organist. In a tiny little church like that. I know preachers that would kill for that. God help us. God help us to just do the best with what we have. I like a little verse over there in Isaiah 33 and 22. It says, and the lame will take the prey. The lame will take the prey. Mephibosheth, you remember him? Lame on both his feet. <laughs> you know where he fed, don't you? Continuously at the king's table. That handicapped man found a home in the court of Israel. That infirm man had, was on intimate terms with his majesty. That lame man was loved by King David. That deformed fellow dined daily with the king. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he has compassion for the crippled. He has love for the lame. He wants to help all of us in our situation. Then I want you to think about this a moment. God specializes in holding crackpots together. 
Some people say, you know, I'm barely hanging in here, preacher. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm on my last leg. Join the club. There's a lot of people like that. But the, our book says in Hebrews 4 and 16, we can come boldly, boldly unto the throne of grace to find grace and help in the time of need. You remember over there in Acts chapter 27 when that uh, boat was sinking and Paul was on there with 270-some people on that ship and then the thing fell apart and then it broke and, you know, the whole mess. And, and the Bible talks about there in Acts 27 and 17 there was helps. They had helps that they wrapped uh, uh, ropes and cables and bands and frapping around that boat to try to keep it together under the hull to hold that vessel together. And I want to say to you tonight that God still has some of those things to help hold us together. I am thankful for the ungirding, the undergirding of God around the flaws of our vessel. When the unforeseen trials invade our lives, when the bill, somebody testified over here, when the bill comes that we didn't expect, when the misfortune shows its face, and we didn't know that was coming. We have a God that will help us, help hold us cracked pots together. And I want to conclude with this thought. God delights in filling cracked pots. I don't know if you believe this or not, but our, our uh, human heritage has been flawed since the very beginning. My youngest boy just took a church in uh, Beckley, West Virginia. Large church, in my opinion, you run about 400. Just a kid, 38, 39 years old, first church he pastored. I kind of wish he'd started with 30 people or 40 people instead of that big thing. And he's had some deals already and only been there two months. But he asked me a while ago, he's, he was working on a message. He, he'd been assistant pastor for a decade in the Seattle area. And he asked me, he said, Dad, how long do you think Adam and Eve lived in the garden before they sinned? I said, well, son, knowing human nature, probably a couple of weeks. I don't think they lasted long. Do you? How long did you last before you started sinning? You were lying when you were two years old about the contents of your diapers. It doesn't take us long. God gets the glory from using crack. Pots. My physical limitations, the failures of my life, you look back on them, God, God uses those things, our flaws. His divine enabling is exhibited through our frailty. I live near Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been to the place scores of times, probably 40, 50 times. I've been on the spot where back during the Depression, Uncle Buddy Robinson came and preached. On a one-day one event to over 30,000 people. Uncle Buddy Robinson preached to those 30,000 people. It was on Thanksgiving Day, matter of fact. And 7,000 people made professions of faith that one day. More than twice as many that were saved on the day of Pentecost. And he had a lisp. He couldn't talk plain. He, he, had, he, had a, he had a physical handicap. God used him. 
He preached in over 90 different denominations. I didn't even know back in those days there was that many. Now I think there's 900, but and some of them, I wouldn't even call them denominations. I don't know what I'd call them. I got a preacher friend out in Oklahoma. She's retired now. He stuttered terribly. I call him on the phone every once in a while, a two-minute conversation, it's 20 minutes. Tim, Tim, it's been like that for the 25, 30 years I've known him. But when he gets in the pulpit and preaches, that all goes away. God can use cracked pots. Some of us crippled beneath the crushing heartaches of life. You say, how could that be? I think it's all wrapped up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9, where the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. When we get stretched to the very limit, God has then completed his purpose in us. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And then he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's in weakness. You know, when we think we're really hot stuff and we really got it all together and, man, I've got this great outline and I've got this great illustration and I've got this, and we rely on our own strength, we're going to make the biggest mess in the history of fundamentalism. When our vessel breaks, his tent spreads over us and we're protected neath his might and power. I know the devil works on us. I know he works on our physique and our failures and our impairments and our finances and he creates domestic problems and our delinquencies. And I tell you, if you can bring it all, all of the negatives of your life and lay them at the altar in fainting abandon, he will fill the flaws of your crack pots with himself. Now this is a spurious story, but it illustrates a wonderful truth to me. In India, there was a water bearer at a wealthy, wealthy home. And his job every day was to take his vessels. He had a, you know, a long pole over his shoulder and a vessel on this side and a vessel on this side to go down to the stream and get water for the household. And he would carry it on his shoulders. One of those vessels that he carried was perfect. It worked perfectly. The other was imperfect. It was marred. It was flawed. It was cracked. And it leaked. When he would arrive at the master's house, the one would be full the other one would be about half full. He did that for years, that water bearer would do that. And one day, the strangest thing, and this is why I think it's a spurious story. I don't think it's a true story, but it illustrates a truth. One day, as he was going down to the water, the cracked vessel, the flawed vessel, spoke to him. Because he deemed himself a failure. He said, I want to apologize to you. Shocked. 
shocked at water bear. Why? I mean, it would shock me to have a crack pot talk to me, and then it would really shock me that I'd talk back to it. <laughs> Why? What are you talking about? He said, I've never been able to deliver a full load. I'm cracked. And you'd fill me up at the river, and I'd leak out before we got to the master's house along the way. Made extra work for you. You'd have to make a, another trip because I could never deliver a full load. The bear felt kind of bad for the grieving crackpot. And on the way back to the river one day, he said, uh, look at the beautiful flowers along the path over there. There are thousands of blossoms. They're blooming. They're beautiful. And it momentarily lifted the spirits of that crackpot and he said, yeah, but I'm only half full. And, you know, he's, he's full. He's always full. I can't go on failing. I want to quit. The water bearer says, you see those flowers? He said, I knew about your flaw. I knew you leaked. And I planted seeds all along the path on that side. And you've been watering them. I picked them. And I bring them to the master's house. If not for your flaws, there would be no flowers to adorn his home. Your efforts comforted his ailing wife. They decorated his son's wedding. And without you and your flaw, then life would have been bereft of the blossoms that flower their home and life to their fragrance. I'll say to you tonight, my friends, give your flaws to him. Give your gifts to Jesus. Rest in what God can do. Surrender you, even though you have these unique problems and your usefulness may not be exactly what someone else is, but in spite of all that and because of those flaws, the excellency of his power can be revealed through you. Remember that old song they used to sing? He looked beyond our fault and saw my need. I preached this sermon a long, long time ago. I haven't preached it in a decade or more. When the service was over, the preacher came to me. He's an older man, probably 10 years older than me. He said, you know what I got out of that sermon, Tim? I said, no, sir. He said, I, I learned this that the pots with the most cracks leak the most water. The pots with the biggest problems. The pots with the biggest faults. They water the most flowers. They do the most good. And then he said this, and this is all true. He said it, I didn't say it. He said, you know, Tim, I got a big nose. And he does. He got a huge, huge Schnocker, I tell you, a big one. And he said, I got bad teeth. And he does have bad teeth. And he said, I got big feet. And I looked down, he, my goodness, he had gunboats. And he said, I have no thumb. And he had cancer in his thumb probably 25 years ago, and they had to cut his thumb off. And when you shake hands with him, you go right up to his elbow. 
I got a big nose, I got bad teeth, I got big feet, and I got no thumb. But he said, you know what I get to do every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night? He said, I get to take the King James Bible and put it out on a pulpit and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was my dad's assistant for a while, probably 50 years ago, maybe a little more. And he married a wonderful girl out of our, our church. Her name was Sharon Conroy in those days. She used to be my babysitter. Really, she was my little brother's and sister's babysitter, but I had, then my parents were not going to turn them kids over to me, I guarantee you that. And she came from a terrible home. Her dad was a bad drunk. Her mother was a mean woman. And my in-laws, my mother and dad, my, my wife's mother and dad, they kind of took that girl in. She came to church all alone for years. She ended up marrying this preacher. And she was standing there when her husband was telling about all his flaws and that. And she told me what I just told you, that Sandy's parents took her in and helped her. I doubt very seriously if my father-in-law or mother-in-law ever won a soul to Jesus in their whole life. I, I, don't, I don't think so. They would go on visitation, you know, they'd, they'd come to church and they, they had a Sunday school department, but I don't, they may have, but I don't, I don't ever remember that at all. But she was standing there, his wife was standing there, and she said, you know, but you're in laws. They saved my life. They helped me. They encouraged me. They took her home every, that's what she said, every Sunday afternoon and fed her at their table and she'd spend the afternoon there and then go home on Sunday night. I think some of that was just to escape the home life that she had to endure. And the old pastor that had died, his widow was there and she's blind lady. And she said, she piped up, she was standing there too. And she said, you know, Tim, your in-laws have a part, not only in her, but in her husband and in this ministry that's been going on here for 60, 70 years. God can use any one of us. You know what the, one of the problems in American Christianity is? We're interested in numbers. And God is interested in individuals. Father in heaven, I pray you'd help us. Help us to realize what we are. We're just a bunch of crackpots. We're just a bunch of flawed vessels. If somehow we could pull back the screen in our own heart and mind today, and remember the pit from which we were digged and the rock from which we were hewn. We, could, we would honestly have to say we're a little of nothing. We're less than nothing. And we'd have to say, God, why in the world did you even save us? But he could see something that maybe nobody else could see. And God, I pray you'd help us to give not only our nothing, but to give our everything to you. To take the crackpot of our life 
the broken vessels of our human existence and just give it to you and let you mold us and make us and display us however you want to do it. If you want us to sit on the back bench, if you want us to sit on the shelf, as long as it's your shelf, I'd be happy to be there. God, I pray you'd help in Jesus' name. That old song, Have Thine Own Way, I think we've played it a time or two this week. Would you come tonight and get in this altar, lots of people, not just a few, lots of people, and say, God, here I am. Here's the cracked vessel of my life. Here's the flawed cracked pot that I am. And I want you to use me. I want you to have your way in my life from this day forward. Let's stand our feet. If you need to come, you ought to come. I wish you'd come.